Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, this is always one of our favorite uh, previews of the year, especially in recent years. Uh, we've got Nebraska on the docket tonight, the team Hoo-ah! that uh, we all love to hate. Um, you know, My history with the Huskers is well documented. Uh, before we get into that, just a little bit of context. We are recording this on July 23rd on the evening, so a uh, lot is still unknown as far as scheduling and you know, kind of what all's happening uh, in conference play, so we'll, we'll have more on any details that arise later, but... Uh, yeah, this this Husker team, we just have to we have to talk about these guys. We sh- we should also clarify, Sammy, that we're also not recording this from inside the Nebraska locker room or on the Nebraska practice field. I only need to mention that because if you listened to our Nebraska pod last year and then watched the season play out, you may have thought that we ha- actually had inside information on the Huskers. Uh, at that level. <laughs> a, a, additional context, uh, in anticipation of this, I poured an aggressively large glass of Old Pulteney whiskey tonight. So cheers, y'all. Here's Nebraska. Cheers. <laughs> well, John, I, I'm I'm afraid to ask about the Husker defense because they haven't been the black shirts for, in recent memory. Any I'm, reason? That, that, that's not changing, is it? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here? Are we still, and I say we, I don't mean we in this podcast. I mean like the media, the country as a ge- in general, whatever, Kirk Herb Street, etc. Are we still going to cling to a positive narrative about Nebraska's defense somehow turning the corner or somehow reclaiming former glory? We have all been living in this world for many years now. This is not a good defensive football team at all. If you really want to work here, you could say that Nebraska's defense improved in 2019. They improved from the 12th ranked scoring defense in the conference to the 11th ranked scoring defense in the conference. They improved from the 9th ranked pass defense in the conference to the 7th ranked pass defense in the conference. I'm trying to be charitable here. We owe it to the Huskers to be a little magnanimous because they made us look, well, they made us look like absolute geniuses last year. (laughs) We couldn't have pegged this team any better. And at least on defense, it's not going to be any harder to do that in 2020. Hey, John, guess what? They got eight spots worse in S&P Plus on defense. (laughs) I don't understand, Scuzz. I I think this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year when they really turn the corner. Um... Here's the thing about this defense, above everything else we discussed at length last year. The slight improvement that this team made as a whole in 2019, and I'd like to reemphasize slight here, was due to a single player. Cornerback Lamar Jackson decided to randomly make the leap as a senior. After being solidly mediocre for three years... He blossomed in 2019 with three interceptions and a great 12 passes defended. He was the team's defensive MVP, and he was a second-team All-Big Ten selection. He was by far the top dog. Now, 
we could throw a bone to the Davis brothers, Carlos and Khalil, who combined for 12 sacks and 15 and a half TFLs. But even though those numbers sound kind of good until you remember it's two guys combined, we're straining to find positives here. And strain is truly the word of the day here because you can really feel this defense straining when you examine it closely. This is a defense searching for impact players amidst a real lack of overall depth and overall talent. What do I mean? Well, Ben Still enters yet another year at defensive end, despite being a true linebacker. And they're playing him at defensive end, even though he only generated three sacks last year. He's just the best option that Nebraska has at that position. Jojo Doman will enter his second year as an outside linebacker, even though he spent his first three years on campus at Nebraska as a safety. He put up a respectable nine tackles for loss last year. But Nebraska is effectively throwing him into the front seven because he's the best athlete on the team defensively. Safety Cam Taylor-Britt also played significant time at linebacker last year. So again, that's two guys playing out of position at linebacker for significant amounts of time or all the time. In other words... It should be really apparent to anyone that Nebraska put its best players on the field in 2019. That's what happens when this many guys are shifted out of position. It's not like there are all these talented young guys itching to play who just couldn't crack the depth chart here. The Davis brothers, Still and Doman, combined for a very mediocre 17.5 sacks last year, and eight of those were Khalil Davis who's in the NFL now. No other player on the team had more than two and a half sacks, and only one other player had more than one and a half. The talent just ain't here, folks. And remember, thanks to Jackson, pass defense was the better part of the Husker defense last year. In the Big Ten in 2019, there was a solidly defined run defense pecking order. There were nine teams, and again, because it's a good defensive concert conference, nine teams that played decent run defense, then a big drop-off, then Maryland, then another drop-off, and then a four-team basement that starts with Nebraska. Against the run, Nebraska had a single competent player, for the last two years, linebacker Muhammad Barry, and he is gone now. Remember, once again, when I talk about a player leaving, that this team has a linebacker playing defensive end and a safety playing linebacker full time. Last year, Nebraska's three best defensive linemen combined for seven non-sack TFLs. Their three best defensive linemen had seven tackles for loss that weren't sacks. Inside linebacker Will Honus returns as last year's second leading tackler, and he is absolutely going to inherit the grabbing at the backs of guys' jerseys really sucks role from Muhammad Barry. (laughs) The secondary features the aforementioned Cam Taylor-Britt, 
who is a good athlete trying to figure out exactly what his role here is because Eric Chenander, the defensive coordinator, has played him uh, at three different positions. He played three different positions on the field just last year. Um, Anchoring the secondary is the perennially mediocre DiCaprio Boodle, who has been starting forever and did not make the leap last year the way Lamar Jackson made the leap. But remember, above and beyond everything else, the whole point is that Nebraska's defense is lean and untalented. Shifting the fastest guys out of position in desperation multiple years in a row is what bad defenses do. Nebraska has not been recruiting at a high level defensively for years. Every now and then, the Huskers strike gold on the transfer front, but there are no reports of any players from the transfer front coming in this year who are going to make a difference. This defense is absolutely staying in the cellar of the conference in 2020. The most likely scenario, in fact, is that they revert to being the 12th or 13th best defense in the conference. It is incredibly hard to see the Scott Frost era ever getting off the ground unless this unit improves, and there's no evidence that the Huskers are on the verge of doing that. Um, So, under the old schedule... We would be playing this team coming out of the Penn State game, um, where in that game, passing would be an absolute necessity, most likely on the back of Peyton Ramsey. Um, And then we would transition to a Nebraska team where basically offensive play calling for Bajakian is just dealer's choice. What do you want to do? Do that thing. Um, And I think he's most likely going to be able to do what he wants when he wants against this defense. Well then, um, it's just good feels. It makes yeah. you feel good. No, that, that I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, it's cause offensively, Adrian Martinez is still there. And like, I, 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 he, I take, I, I, I take it all back. National championship or bust. <laughs> um, yeah, he's still there. I could have sworn he would have graduated by now, but I mean, he hasn't really been the world beater that everyone kind of figured he would be. He's entering year three. He definitely regressed last year. He's probably still there, the starter. Um, it's very possible he could improve. I mean, like, you know, look, I, you know, I, I allowed in last year's preview that, that, Nebraska had a really great player in Adrian Martinez, and I believe that's still true. Um, but I was also worried about the experience around him, particularly at wide receiver, maybe at offensive line. I also thought it was highly unlikely Nebraska would become the offensive dynamo that everyone was predicting, nor was it likely that they would compete for a division title, let alone something more. I can't even say with a straight face, guys. Um, <laughs> and and that's most especially because of Martinez's likelihood of getting injured. He runs too much, he holds the ball too long, he takes too many sacks, he gets the crap kicked out of him. And that's exactly what happened last year, and it's probably going to happen again this year. Um, You know, there were... uh, 
in regard to some of those other comments I made last year, there was a smattering of Nebraska fans, and this goes to what John brought up as well, that, that even listened to our podcast last season and went apoplectic on the message boards about all the four-star recruits coming to play defense and wide receiver in 2020. Guess what, folks? For all the things that we got wrong about Minnesota or that I got wrong about Minnesota and that you know we missed on Northwestern's QB situation, we effing pegged Nebraska to a T. Phil Steele predicted Nebraska to be, quote, one of the best offenses in the Big Ten. They finished ninth in S&P+. They had some big games, Illinois, NIU, Maryland, but they just couldn't score enough to make up for this defense. They had some big games, Illinois, NIU, Maryland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you may recall that the prior year, everybody was going batshit because they had scored 50 points three times to close out the season against Bethune-Cookman, Illinois and Minnesota. Like this is there's a pattern here. They they they're able to beat up on really bad teams that can't slow their running game and beyond that they struggle. So look, the, the presumed boost to their wide receiver core last year was based on the idea that Cal transfer Kanawai Noah, uh tight end Jack Stoll, uh wide receiver Mike Williams and then walk-on son of Kurt Warner, Cade Warner, were going to be great or do something. These guys had 55 catches for 600 yards combined. Leading receiver J.D. Spielman, who had 900 yards receiving by himself, was the only player who put up a big average, 18.3 yards per catch, or scored more than two TDs. He had five. And guess what, guys? He just transferred to TCU. It just does not get any better than Nebraska. Offensive line was a problem. I cited that they were awesome in run blocking in 2018, but really struggled in pass pro. Guess what? Pass pro remained a problem. They had the same number of sacks allowed, and their run blocking got much worse. Their saving grace last year was that Juco transfer Dietrich Mills was really great at running the ball, particularly in the back half of the year when he got used to not running out of a triple option. And uh, somehow he relegated former star Maurice Washington to the bench. Maurice Washington like got all sorts of accolades for, for the, you know, he broke a whole bunch of freshman records in, in 2017 and somehow couldn't sustain any of that the next year. Early in the season, there was a ton of excitement around Wandale Robinson, this, you know, uh, super speedy freshman who came, who came in and was making a mark. He was electric, but he's mostly all or nothing. He averaged 3.9 yards per carry and 11.3 yards per catch. He does add a lot of the speed to the lineup, but the explosiveness that that was supposed to perpetuate throughout the year just didn't exist. As it usually does, a season comes down to the quarterback, and Adrian Martinez, like I said, he got injured again. He also regressed severely from 2018. His completion rate dropped 5%. He threw as many picks and seven fewer touchdowns in 30% fewer attempts. He also ran the ball more frequently per game, but no more effectively. He was pretty good, you know, the first four games of the season, again, against pretty weak competition, um, and, and maybe save the fourth quarter in OT against Colorado. He was horrible against Ohio State in the fifth game. He was okay against Northwestern, decent even. Um, then he got injured, uh, missed the next two games, and really struggled in the final four. Worst of all, though, the fumbles. He lost six fumbles his freshman year, another four last year. In both cases, that's half of the total times that he dropped the ball. So, you know, you hear a lot about fumble luck. This was not a case of misfortune. He lost literally the expected number of fumbles. 
Next year, if he if he fumbles the ball eight times again, who knows? He might lose six of them. He might get lucky and only lose two. But this is a problem. Wait, Scuzz, are you telling me that a Nebraska quarterback named Martinez, who liked to run a lot, tailed off big time after his freshman year? I just can't believe such a thing would happen. If It's what I'm telling you. Um, while he was injured, uh, UCF transfer Noah Vedral filled in and was statistically better than Martinez versus both Minnesota and Indiana. But he also left the program this offseason to go play at Rutgers. <laughs> Frankly, I think that's probably much less about Martinez and much more about Luke McCaffrey and even more so about incoming stud Logan Smothers. But we'll get back to that. Uh, so this year, you know, the offensive line, I'm going to be a little bit, I guess, optimistic around Nebraska, maybe. Um, this year, the O-line comes back intact. They should really improve, at least in their run blocking. They've got five returning starters. They've got this six-foot-nine gargantuan right tackle that who's a redshirt freshman who's probably going to play. They should be solid. The running back depth is, is, is fine. Dietrich Mills is back. They're going to be good at running back. They hand the ball to, to Wandale Robinson sometimes. The QBs are going to run. Like, they're going to be fine. But beyond the dump-down pass to Wandale, they have virtually zero returning production at receiver. Uh, tight end Jack Stoll's back, like whoop-de-doo. They do add a ton of talent on paper. So Omar Manning, who's a JUCO transfer, he, he originally uh, committed to, to um, TCU. He's from Kilgore, Texas. Looks really, really solid. He's, he's, the, he's the number one JUCO wide receiver. Uh, he's coming in this year. They've got this monster... Uh, this monster freshman, he's 6'6", his name's Chris Hickman, who looks pretty decent as well. The, the, their top recruit this past season was also a wide receiver. Xavier Betts, uh, another a 6'3 guy coming from uh, from within Nebraska. So, like, there's a lot of talent in, in the wide receiver core. There's another guy named Demarion Houston, um, who, was, who was pretty highly recruited. But the thing is, like, these guys have zero reps. They've got no spring ball. And with uncertainty at quarterback, in a system that asks a lot, asks a lot of its receivers from a from a blocking and route concept perspective, I mean it's going to take a while for these guys to find their stride. And as we saw last year, like you can't just dump a bunch of new guys into this system and expect great things. The real problem here is that they just continue to have a, a conundrum at the quarterback position. And Sam, you alluded to it off the top, like Adrian, Mater- Adrian Martinez entering year three. He looked great year one. He regressed year two. He's the best guy on their roster, but he can't consistently hold onto the ball, and he keeps getting hurt. He runs too much. He gets sacked because he holds the ball too long. He's also really not good at throwing deep. It's a lot of horizontal attacking. I mean, if you think about um, uh, Mackenzie Milton, the QB at UCF uh, last year who got hurt, I mean, the guy can throw deep. Like that That's a team that attacks vertically. They chew you up underneath, and they attack vertically. And when Frost first got to Nebraska, he had Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman in his wide receiver core, and those guys did good things downfield and otherwise, and he just hasn't replaced that talent. Now, maybe some of these young guys can do it, but I just, like, the combination of these of the, of the QBs and the running backs and the lack of opportunity to play together and train together is a huge, huge problem. So, I mean, like... In, in regard to the scheme, too, with the horizontal attacking, it just allows defenses like Northwestern to play their, their containment quarters coverage and keep everything in front of them. That's why you see Nebraska scoring 13 points against Northwestern, 7 against Minnesota, and blowing out teams like Maryland and Illinois who, who don't have the ability to do that sort of thing. Yep. 
Absolutely. That's the best. The best defenses are just going to roll guys up into the box and just be like, throw on us, do it. Yep. And I don't think um, they can. So, I mean, they, they, they do have a couple interesting things going on, right? Like, so first, they, they did hire Matt Lubick, uh, who was Frost's passing game coordinator at, at Oregon. So he's going to come hap- in. And, what happened to their OC? Did they fire him? Uh, good question. Did he transfer to Rutgers? <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what happened to him, but um, but they did they did bring in a new OC, and you know, and, and he worked with Frost at Oregon, so maybe he can help unlock these guys and 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 help them, you know, get over the hump. They're all great fits for Frost's system, right? They're super fast. Um, Martinez demonstrated accuracy his freshman year. McCaffrey and Smothers are are virtual carbon copies. They're all, they're all six two, two hundred pounds, you know, fast as hell. I, I think I think the throwing is the question, and when you look at the tape on these guys, they don't throw that often. They tend to run, so it's a transition, right? I, even after averaging about thirty points per game over the last two years in the Big Ten, and even if Martinez reverts to his twenty eighteen form, I just don't see them suddenly scoring forty points a game. There are too many question marks. They make too many mistakes. And frankly, the defenses in the conference are too good, which is something that Frost did not have to deal with in the past, either in the Pac-12 or when we was at UCF. So, like, they're still they're going to be fine on offense. They're gonna they're gonna score fifty some game. They're gonna do good things. It's gonna be a shootout against Purdue. But when they play Northwestern, Penn State, Wisconsin, even maybe Minnesota, they are gonna struggle. Ohio State too. Let's not let's not forget that yeah, Iowa, Iowa, Indiana's defense. Like like they're just, they're not putting up forty on these teams. Yeah, I mean, like you you mentioned their schedule and yeah, their their three cross uh, matchups at Ohio State, at Rutgers, and Penn State. Um, Ohio State, Penn State. That is not the uh, the tandem that you are wanting as if you're. You know, looking to get some W's from the East. Rutgers, you know, th- that's all well and good. But, um, yeah, I mean, the... suffice to say, the, the entrance to the Big Ten has not been what I think they had in mind. I mean, they've been in the Big Ten for now eight years, and, you know, they have one winning season in their last five. They So they are, of all the teams we've discussed first, they are the massive winner in the non-con being taken off the slate uh, sweepstakes. Cincinnati would have been a bad game for Ooh, them. Oh boy, yeah. yeah. Um, South Dakota State, FCS power, year in and year out. Um, and Central Michigan, who was also on our schedule and I was terrified of, that is a team that plays really good run defense. Um, so that's all well and good for them. They get a nice stretch of Illinois bye week Rutgers, at least in the old schedule, which we don't know how that's going to hold up. But those are definitely winnable games for them. They blew out Rutgers last year. But to Scuzz's point, that's because there is, you know, talent on the offense and teams that don't. I mean, they were able to put up points on Indiana. They were able to put up points on Purdue. It's just those teams also have dynamic offenses that Nebraska can't stop. And, and, and if you can't stop the run, you can't stop Nebraska. And those teams all struggle against the run. Right. And then, but then you look and you see, right. I mean, Scuzz mentioned it already, but like, like Nebraska, I mean, uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, like Ohio state, us, they just didn't score points in those games. Um, 
They and the other worrying thing too is there was that stretch where they went Ohio State, Northwestern, Minnesota, and they didn't score points in that entire stretch. And there was a bye week in that stretch. So when Scuzz talks about like this team can get a little kind of screwed up in terms of what it wants to do, like Nebraska can kind of lose track of of things offensively and get into a little bit of a funk. And this team is just they they're they are not a tough enough team to be able to weather storms like that. And if you look like I mean, if you take the way the the current iteration of this schedule, like yeah. the, the the Halloween and after storm. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, it's, it's absolutely brutal because I mean, it's, it's, you know, you think of the way we played them. And again, we lost that game because of just our offense being a total uh, hot, mess. hot take. If Andrew Marty starts that game, we win that goddamn game. Right. And, but I mean, it's like, you know how we play this kind of team. It's just corners sitting off nice seven in the box. Um, and we're just like, well, you're not going to be able to run on us. So Go ahead. How many passes in a row can Adrian Martinez complete? And you're going to like Penn State, like Nebraska just won't run on Penn State. So then what? Ohio State is just operating on another level. Wisconsin's defense will just not have problems with Nebraska's offense. They didn't have problems last year either. Um, Minnesota's defense is going to be a totally different animal this year. But the fact remains that they absolutely stoned Nebraska last year. And Iowa's Iowa. I mean, I just they're... I think well, 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 regardless of what happens to Minnesota's defense, their run game's still going to be strong. Oh, and ne- Nebraska has no defensive line. Like what? Like what are they going to do to get the ball back? Looming over all of this, right, is the fact that like in the Big Ten as a whole, Minnesota's got something going right now. Indiana's got something going right now. Purdue, you know, certainly on offense has got something going right now. Like. It's not like Nebraska's failure to ascend is happening in a vacuum right now. They are either the sixth or seventh best team in the West right now. It's them in Illinois. Like, that is very, like, you can't really argue anything other than that. They just don't have the depth and they don't have things in place right now. And it's not like a team like Minnesota was going to wait around for Nebraska to get worse than them. Like, Minnesota's jumped them. We've jumped them. I mean, last year's result notwithstanding, like, I mean, you can just, we're a better level of team than Nebraska is right now. And you can look at the recruiting rankings year in and year out. And it's not like, like we're recruiting at a lower level and just getting it done. Like Nebraska has been tailing off for a long time now. Um, And like, they need a spark. Like something has to happen to jumpstart this team at this point. It's not just going to happen because they're Nebraska. And I don't really know what that's going to be. I mean, again, I would solidly put them above Illinois, but that game was a nail biter last year. They won 42, 38. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like they're, they're definitely going to be Rutgers. Um, can, can we talk about their road games this season? <laughs> at Northwestern, at Rutgers, at Ohio state, at Iowa, at Wisconsin. I mean, they're in, their in division road games are brutal. Here's a really good point to make, especially about our game, but also about certainly Wisconsin and maybe even Ohio State. The fans can't travel to those games. Whether they're fans in the stands or not, they ain't going to be Nebraska fans. Um, And like for our game, like, sorry, Husker fans, like you don't get to make that pilgrimage to, um, to Chicago this time. 
if it's played and there are fans in the stands, it's going to be students and season ticket holders. And uh, so, you know, that's one of those few things that you could argue that they have going for them, but not this year. So, I mean, they do have kind of like a 50-50 shot of getting like a a beneficial team added to their schedule. Mm-hmm. Again, assuming that things that the nine games that exist stay. So they'll they'll get one of Michigan, Indiana, Michigan State or Maryland. Um, and I mean, those are two pretty cr- like two teams that they're pretty clearly going to lose to and two teams that they would pretty probably pretty clearly beat. Yeah, they would. So like <laughs> fortune can um, can fall one way or the other here for, for them as far as the schedule goes. I mean, at the same time, if they do mix up the, the cross, the crossovers, like they're almost guaranteed to have a better lineup than Ohio State, Penn State, Rutgers, right? Right. It's just funny, though, because like you, you take that game off the top against Purdue, right? And it's like Purdue's defense sucks. Nebraska's defense sucks. Purdue's uh, got big Q, big questions at QB though. But, they do, but right. that being said, if 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 Q, if Nor- if Nebraska and Purdue get even QB play, right, and I'll take Purdue over over the Huskers every day of the week. Exactly, and that's the thing. It's like for as much as like, and I do believe Scott Frost is a good offensive coach, and he does put a good offensive system in place. But it's like, again, that's not happening in a vacuum. You're not the only one doing that. Jeff Brom has done a better job of doing the exact same thing at Purdue. And to your point, right, if quarterback play is even, Purdue's offense is better. It has more talent, and it's better schemed than Nebraska's is. Um, so it's, again, it's like like they, they need a break. They need something to kickstart this team and push them in the right direction. Because, right, you look, I mean, again, we don't know how bowls are going to work out or how anything's going to work out this year. But in a 10-game schedule, it is really hard to find more than five wins for this team, or even five wins. Hot take. I, I, hot, I keep, quick, quick hot take here. Are we sure Scott Frost is a good head coach? Well, so here, like, he he's going to be fine. I mean, I'm not questioning his offensive mind. You know, he, he puts together a, a solid offense. But, I mean, he's had one great year as a head coach so i like he i think i think one thing that is being underestimated is the level of ludicrous expectations that are in place at nebraska which are decades out of date now with the realities of talent and all sorts of other things right um but outside of that like i like i guess sam to your point we keep seeing his team making mistakes and not doing things in the right way. And that's, that's, that's real problematic and certainly points to, to him. I think the, the, the teams he had in central Florida, granted they didn't play against really tough competition, but my God, they were amazing to watch. Right. Um, And I think he probably took advantage of a Florida talent base that, just doesn't exist in Nebraska and is a lot harder to convince to come to Nebraska. Um, he He's also up against a much harder set of opponents than he faced in either the Pac-12 or his time at UCF. And here's another inter- interesting thing in, in that vein, right? I've been thinking about this a lot because those Oregon teams, those Chip Kelly Oregon teams were I mean, what, I forget what we called it, basketball on grass or lightning on grass or what, like they were really electric and really incredible. 
but anytime they played an Auburn or an LSU, even a Boise State, they struggled, and they generally lost. And every article cites, you know, and I even I even talked about it right with the hire of his old of his old passing game coordinator. Like every article cites the the amazing offenses he ran at at Oregon, and the expectation is that he can just package that up, bottle it up, bring it to Nebraska, pour it on the field, and it's going to happen again. And and it just it doesn't work that way. The, the the things that Oregon was doing back then were super novel. That they're not as novel anymore. Um, teams have been working on defending them. And I mean, I guess like for 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 my if they didn't have the crazy expectations, I think Frost would be in great shape to lead Nebraska, much in the way that Pat Fitzgerald was was a great hire for Northwestern. It's the prodigal son coming home. It's a guy who won them a national championship. It's somebody who understands the program and the ethos and all those other things, right, can speak to the student-athletes in a way that that another coach cannot. Um, but that being said, like, we, we don't know how good he is as a leader, and it took Fitz a while to demonstrate it, but he's dem- demonstrated it in spades, and Frost hasn't gotten there yet. So, Yeah, agreed. I think... I think a realistic way to look at it is again, like not to sell Nebraska short. It's not like they oh, sell still them don't short. Have... Please sell them. Oh, short. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, it's not like <laughs> sell, they sell, 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 sell. It's not like they still don't have those fans and that stadium, etc. I would say though, basically, like they are in Iowa right now, or a Minnesota, and they are in a funk right now, and they're not a Rutgers. They're not a Maryland. But they are in Iowa or in Minnesota in a down period right now. And no one's going to help pull them up out of that down period. Like, they have to get up out of it. And it's funny, like, to compare them with Minnesota because it's like, look, Minnesota's got a ton of national titles, too. How far back are we going? <laughs> That's such a great point. Because, like, such a great because, point. Uh, both of them won a bunch of national titles before any college football player was born. Okay, so it's like we're if we're going back to the mid 90s, like that's I mean, that doesn't seem along very far to a lot of us, but it's well before any current college football player was born. Um, So it's one of those things where it's like they're they have good facilities still. They have tradition They're Again, they're in Iowa or in Minnesota in a funk right now. They will get out of it, but. No one's going to help them out of it, and they happen to be in a West division right now where everyone, with the exception of Illinois, is in pretty good shape right now. Um, and it's it's I don't see that changing this year. Do you? This is a wild question to ask. Um, do you guys think anything about ne- Nebraska's trajectory is different if they did not fire Frank Solich back in whatever it was, two thousand and two? And just for for those who who this who are like scuzz, what the hell are you talking about? Um, Nebraska went to the national championship game um, against was it USC? No, it was against Miami. They got blown out, but they were I mean they were right up there. Um, Frank Solich took over after after um, Tom Osborne retired, and 
generally won what like nine or ten games a year. I think he, I think he went eleven and three the year he got fired. I can't, I can't remember, but but it's crazy crazy stuff. And they canned him and hired Bill Callahan out of the, the NFL. Big, so that's the thing. The big thing. It's not just that they fired Solich. It's yeah. that when they did, they jettisoned several decades of Nebraska culture built around the triple option. It's it's exactly what Michigan did hiring Rich Rod and and not. I mean, Callahan was a different entity because he alienated everyone, whereas I think Rich Rod never got the opportunity to even succeed because he wasn't a, quote, Michigan man. But same effect, right? Like, it, like it, it's just, you know, s- separated and severed the connection to, the, to history. Yeah, totally. And I think, again, I mean, part of it is because for all the Nebraska hate that we throw around, and Sam's going to wince when I say this, that that mid '90s Nebraska oh, triple option offense, like I love me some triple option football, and in my lifetime, it's been rare that there was a combination of triple option football and ungodly amounts of talent procured. However, it was procured, um, but they got rid of all that, and right, and the Bill Callahan thing was such a mess that they were effectively back to square one without that thing that was a bread and butter. And at the time, they you know. Probably the, the move in hindsight would have been to, to shift back to that and try to reclaim it. Um, well, the, the, pro- it. the problem was, I mean, they they kept Callahan around so long that they had Callahan came in and transitioned like he was right right in. We're running a pro style offense, right? And like he made that transition. Like they stopped recruiting triple option guys and you know started recruiting the you know pro style guys. And you know once you make that transition to switch back is ridiculously hard. Well, I think Bill, Bill Callahan was also kind of an idiot. Sure. Um, and not very good at being a head coach in college. And what's interesting, like, Bo Pelini got really close to bringing them back, right? I mean, if if, if t- that one year he had Indomitian Sioux and there was the weird thing with the refs at the end of the Big 12 title game where, you know, Colt McCoy threw the ball out of bounds and they, they put a second back on the clock. They probably shouldn't have done it. Nebraska should have won that game. They they would have been, I think, in line to go to the national championship against Alabama. Am I right? Um, They were up there. I don't know if it was maybe, national maybe championship. Maybe they, but... maybe they weren't high enough to go to the national championship, but they were knocking on the door at least, right? And then the whole, like, can't spell Pelini without four L's and his – his tirades became became problematic and they fell off a cliff. But like they I mean they they effectively recovered from the Callahan years, but I think I think but have, have they've never been able to recapture what they had before and I and I and I frankly I don't think they ever will now with the with the way talent is distributed in the US and you know, back in the day Nebraska was a team that was always on television, like in the nineties, because they were so good. That that area you talk about, John they were on television frequently. This is a time period where not every game was broadcast and certain teams, Notre Dame, Nebraska, Michigan, Ohio state, they got more publicity and more eyeballs than most schools. And that benefited them dramatically. So, I mean, the, the loss of that, the loss of the recruiting base, they, they, they no longer go to Texas every, you know, once or twice uh, a year. And the, those things, it, it was more than that. The I mean, they, 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 they gave up, recruiting Texas when they made the move to the Big Ten because, like, exactly, half, of their, yeah. half their games were in the Big 12. Or, I mean, they were in the Big 12 and half their games were in Texas. I think, too, like, one of the other things to talk about is 
obviously Mike Riley had a really middling level. And Polini, again, he took so much crap, but there's no doubt that the Polini era was better than the Mike Riley era. But one of the big things, too, is during the Mike Riley era and into the Scott Frost era, Nebraska's kind of gotten a reputation as a soft football team. And that is something that's hard to wash away. Um, That's really been like five straight seasons right now of Riley and Frost, where if you are speaking well of Nebraska, you're speaking well of Nebraska as an offensive football team. But no one is going out there and comparing them to a Wisconsin or an Iowa or a Northwestern as like, these are tough-nosed football teams that get it done in the trenches. Like, I think there's kind of this view that Nebraska's got some sexy four-star running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, etc., but they're not good on defense and they're not good in the trenches. And that's a tough stigma to get over. Um, again, it's like... Especially when your your heritage in much of your fan base is the polar opposite of that. Right, yeah. exactly. Is we're going to yeah. run over the top of you and then we have the black shirts. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Nebraska football was always just grinded out, ground right. and pound, you know, in the trenches. That was Nebraska football. Yep. Yeah, not anymore. And again, I it's it's not that they can't get back there. It's not that they are bereft of tradition and bereft of resources. It's just no one's going to help them get back there. And the rest of the Big Ten, outside of the basement, is pretty good right now. And I, I just don't see a shift coming. They're so lucky they're in the West. If they were in the East. Yeah. Um, man. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I feel good. How do you guys feel? <laughs> uh, I feel I feel great. There's only like yeah. a third of a finger of my, of my aggressive glass of whiskey left. <laughs> well, before, uh, before we lose Eric completely, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Um, come, you... come on, man. I got more stuff <laughs> I know, than that. I know. I'm just, I'm just giving you shit, man. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, to leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us on the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>